Welcome to Canada's Property Management Podcast, your number one resource for investing, managing, and maximizing the value of your real estate assets. And now, here's your hosts, Carla Brown and Adrian Schultz, Canada's rental property experts. Muffin, you're not alone. I'm back now. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for coming back. I have really, really missed you. I, I realized that doing the podcast without you is not the same. Talking to myself, because that's what you're kind of doing when we're sitting here, is not the same as talking with you. So thank you for coming back. Yeah, that, that's extremely hard. So as you know, on my I Love Winnipeg Real Estate uh, podcast, which I have not done episodes for quite some time, and it is because it's really hard just to talk into a microphone without having someone to interact with to, to get you revved up, for lack of a better word. Speaking of revved up, boy, oh boy, do we have a revved up housing shortage in Canada and it continues to grow. Last year in in 2022, the government of Canada welcomed over 400,000 permanent residents. And this year, it's expected that over 500,000 or half a million new permanent residents will be calling Canada home, there aren't enough homes. There aren't enough homes. Uh, Housing affordability is one part of it, but we literally just do not have enough homes, both on the rental side and the buy side, to be placing people coming in. And the other interesting part of that, Adrian, is that not only are we seeing new immigrants, new to Canada people coming in, we see a lot of migration between the provinces And usually when those people migrate from one province to another, they usually are renters first a lot of times, especially those that are migrating. We see a lot coming from Ontario specifically in that because that is one area that is definitely being very impacted by the housing shortage. And and that the shortage is what drives up the prices, right? On the rental side and on the on the buy sell. Well, supply and demand, supply and demand. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an interesting point is like what point do we reach in Canada where not only can you not afford to buy a house, but we're already reaching where you can't afford to rent a house. And this, well, I was in San Diego a couple of weeks ago at conference and I was talking to my Uber driver and he rents a place. And so we were talking, where do you live? Like how far out of the main part of San Diego is that? And, and then we just started talking about homelessness and the, the amount of it that's in these, some of these big cities And he said, I have friends that work full-time that live in their vehicle. So they're working full-time and still can't afford to rent a place. And he said, in order to get a small apartment in San Diego, not in particularly a high-end area, it would cost $8,000 to get in. He said, nobody has just $8,000 to spend. So, I mean, I'm talking about US, but that flips right into Canada as well. and so. I'm a problem solver and I know you are, Adrian. Yeah, so we've talked about the the, the pricing problem and yeah. the shortage problem. What's the solution? Yeah, we need more houses. We need developers to build. But unfortunately, that then gets us into this government red tape. So we need municipalities and the governments both, whether it's at, I guess, at a municipality level, provincial level and federal level to have incentives for these developers and start removing all the red tape that goes along with it. We did here in Ontario, uh, you know, I think that was six or eight months ago, where they proclaimed that they were going to remove some of this red tape. And I think that it's starting to, to take hold there. 
But this is like a national issue that nationally, I think we need to try to solve. But developers need to get out there and start building for purchase and for rental. Yeah. And and unfortunately, uh, with the current interest rate environment, new construction is challenging to say the least. Because with construction financing, you have to get in and out of construction financing pretty fast at these rates. Otherwise, your return on investment diminishes. And then on top of it, ironically, is the skilled labor shortage. So it's great for us to say, yeah, we need to build more housing. We're doing an addition right now. And, you know, gosh, I thought I knew all the providers, which I do, but even they are citing extreme labor shortages putting us three months behind. And I scratch my head and I go, really, is this happening to me? And yeah, it's happening to everyone. Yeah, you know, You've got legacy 50, 60-year-old uh, skilled trade companies that don't have enough workers. The beauty is that immigration will help fix that, especially if it's the correct type of migration, which I still believe is I I still think the best way of immigration policy is labor immigration, skilled labor, professional Mm -hmm. labor, et cetera, because that's what this country needs, right? We we have so much work that can be done and we need the people to do it. Well, how do you feel about, and and this was a random thought, about bedroom communities? Because it seems that the smaller municipalities are friendlier to construction. Is it a big deal for someone to live half an hour outside of town and and doing development in those rural municipalities versus everyone trying to build and construct within major urban centers? No, I, I think that the I think there is a huge demand for outside of the bigger centers. I think people reevaluated lifestyle a lot through uh, the pandemic. And the other part of that is we are still not all back in office working. I mean, you and I never left our offices, right? But we work with a lot of people who don't ever go to an office. And I still believe like the stats show that over 50% of Canadians are remote workers or a hybrid of it. So living farther away and being in lower density instead of the higher density, I don't personally believe is an issue at all. In fact, I think that those smaller municipalities have a huge objective or a huge advantage right now to be able to entice people Mm -hmm. to come and live in those communities. What would be your recommendation to property investors that have a portfolio or that want to build a portfolio? What's the natural way to get started in owning new construction or in doing your own maybe fourplex build? Yeah, I would say join forces. So I think that there's a lot of investment groups out there because say if it was just you or I, do we have the time to like build a, a complex? No. We don't. We might have money to invest in the building of a complex, but I don't have the time or the knowledge. But there's a lot of people out there with that type of knowledge, and that's what they do. So I think this is a great opportunity for some really good partnerships and joint venture uh, type of uh, projects to go ahead. And people do want to do it. So, um, And if you're someone with a lot of knowledge, you don't need the money. There's other people who will support the money side of it, and you can just put that knowledge to work. And then from a developer standpoint, I think you need to start aligning yourself with some other people that are going to be really good in that ecosystem. So who is your realtor base that you're going to pull from? Who is your mortgage base that you're going to pull from? 
Who are you going to be able to give some mortgage incentives to the buyers that are coming into that development? How could you offer property management services to make this easy if it's going to be an investment type of building? And then, you know, getting all those people in the same room, I think will make a really big difference because now you're building a project that's going to be sustainable. It's going to have all of those pieces. Is this uh, again, a repeat of your power team? So if you're, if you're going to do development, you know, do it safely with people you trust and get that power team assembled. And, you know, we should never forget the legal and the accounting professionals to be involved in this because they can help protect everybody's mutual interests as well. And yes, there are professional fees that people have to pay. And yes, sometimes you kind of cringe, but there is a good reason for that to keep everybody protected that you actually achieve the common goal. Yeah. And you want to build something that's sustainable long term. So right now we have an extreme housing shortage, but you want to make sure that you're building for rental, uh, if that's what this is building is going to be for primarily investment to provide for rental, or if you're building primarily for home ownership, those are two different things. And then build it with that long term in mind so that you're going to be able to manage through those ebbs and flows, because this is a point in time But, you know, three years from now, when we're still doing this podcast every single week, Adrian, can you imagine? Three years from now? Yes. Yeah, I'll be 90. (laughs) Well, then I'll be 103. Um, (laughs) Then, you know, I think you need to make sure that it's going to be sustainable at that point too, right? We should never go in that this is going to be just a short, short term uh, venture unless you're doing that, uh, unless you're doing flips, obviously. Before we uh, cap off this episode, I think uh, it's important to mention that there are numerous government incentives and programs available for new multifamily construction. I would recommend that people go and check out CMHC or when you're speaking with your mortgage broker or mortgage professional, make sure that they have the expertise in new construction financing and that they are also aware of the government incentive programs that are out there. One of my favorite ones is the CMHC program where a certain percent of the project is actually allocated to affordable rents. And why I like having a portion of a project being affordable rent units is communities thrive when you've got a mix of different kinds of people and different classes of people. Personally, I don't like communities that have just one group of people. I like a mix. It just makes it so much more interesting and healthy for community as a whole. So certainly check out some of those programs that are available. That's a great point. Another, just a little plug for uh, the Real Estate Investment Network as well, is that there's a lot of people in that network that have done these types of projects, a lot of knowledge in there. So It doesn't hurt to do some peeking around and some searching online and have some conversations with people before you move in that direction. But I would really encourage people to look at it. Don't just go always just go buy an investment property and think that's how you're going to start to gain your real estate portfolio. There's other ways that you can do it and Canada needs it. Yeah, build it and they will come. And that's real property management. Thanks for listening to Canada's Property Management Podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe and give us a rating, which will help us reach more listeners. Until next time, connect with us on social media and online at realpm.ca. Today's episode is brought to you by Century 21 Canada, the gold standard in real estate. Explore listings, find an agent, and get advice at www.c21.ca.